Today we have a special interview with actress, comedian, and YouTube sensation, Julie Nolke. This is Doctor vs. Comedian. I'm Dr. Asif Doja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. Not a real doctor. Ali Hassan. Every episode, what we normally do is I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic for medicine and health and grills me on that topic. But today is one of our famous special episodes. Today, we will be interviewing actress, comedian, and YouTube star, Julie Nolke. And my co-star from Run the Burbs. Exactly. Before we get started with Julie, I thought we'd read off some of these reviews we've gotten for our podcast on Apple Podcasts. We've had such great feedback, and I thought I'd read a few of the reviews. A lot of these are, of course, five-star reviews, not reading out the four-star reviews. We don't have very many of those, by the way. Nobody gets (laughs) worried. Wow, defensive much, Asif? (laughs) Here's one from Care Treff. I don't, or I'm, like, that's what it says the username is. I love listening to Doctor versus Comedian. Their conversations are always entertaining, and I love learning about different medical topics from a very reliable source. That source, they must mean, is you, right, Ali? Of course, obviously. Another uh, five-star review from Little Hotsey. Oh, Little Hotsey. A fun and informative listen is the title. I enjoy the Canadian perspectives. Thanks. Well, that's very nice of them. I've got one to throw in here, Asif. It wasn't a review, but it was feedback I got from uh, somebody named Tom in Spain. Okay, Spain. Wow, okay. Spain. And he said, I really enjoy your podcast with Asif. My favorite line so far is when you said, Asif, B-O, what is it? Why do you have it? So, yeah, it's not nice, but you got to give the people what they want, okay? Yeah. International, International feedback coming in, and they like that you have B-O. We really appreciate all the feedback. Please keep it coming. These five-star ratings, these reviews are really helpful to us. Also, please make sure that you tell a friend and make sure you put on the automatic downloads for our podcast. It really helps us out. Hot tip. Folks, it gives us a great pleasure to welcome... Julie Nolke to the podcast. Hi, Julie. Hello. You know, Asif and I were remarking on one thing. It's very interesting. I'm going to tell our listeners that Julie Nolke has her background blurred right now, (laughs) which is of note because she shares her unblurred background (laughs) with the world of YouTube. But somehow she came here and she's like, I don't want these two brown creeps knowing where I live. Uh, That was my thought process. Exactly. Well, we're sorry we made you feel that way out of the (laughs) gate. The blurring is very hysterical, like that we would not get any access to your life. Are you but trying YouTube, to, you're trying to guilt trip me into unblurring? No, 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 no unblurring required. No, no, we've seen it. We've seen the YouTube videos. We know what it looks like. It's just, you know, that's what somebody gave us something and then they took it away. That's what it feels like. And that is your right. That is. But hopefully we win you over as uh, decent human beings before <laughs> the end of this. So I will tell some people some stuff about you. You know, I, I think there's clearly... Millions of people who know who you are. But let me give a a rundown. Recently, 2021, Julie won three Webby Awards. One of them was for Best Individual Performance. Two of them for Audience Choice for Best Viral Video. We're going to get into that a little bit. And Best Writing. So it's not just, you know, a viral sensation. Sometimes, you know, you make 
farting noises with your armpit and you're like, you're a viral hit. Best writing, I think, is of note to put there that there's some talent and skill here. Uh, not, I'm not saying you don't do a good armpit fart. I'm not saying that. I'm just there's saying, a lot of skill. To, there's a lot of technique. I think I still you're haven't mastered it. not appreciating. No, I know. I, I haven't been able to master it. And God knows I want to. You have also been nominated for a 2021 Streamy Award for Best Writing. And you were named one of 2020's top Canadian breakout creators by YouTube, which is huge. You have a great TED Talk that uh, Asif and I studied in detail. Oh, no. And uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is getting serious. And yeah, we're really happy to have you here. Oh, it's an honor. I'm so excited to be chatting with you guys. Well, why don't we get started here, Julie? I want to talk about how you guys started in acting. But interestingly, I heard mm -hmm. slash read um, during my research about you that you were originally going to go into engineering and you had some scholarships for engineering. So tell us a bit about that. Yeah, whoa. Yeah, I did. So one of the rules in my household was that whatever you choose to do in your life, you have to get a degree. And so I, I had wanted to actually be a dancer. I was a dancer or engineering. And so that's, that's mainly what I applied for. <laughs> came to Toronto and I auditioned for a few schools, a few dance schools. And it was kind of an afterthought that I auditioned for an acting program at York University in Toronto. And then I also had applied for engineering in Calgary. And I did get a, a full scholarship for that one. But for some reason in my gut, I was like, I just want to be an artist. I just want my life to be insecure and just have no idea where it's headed. And that's ultimately what I decided. So that's interesting. You know, I'm a neurologist and we always talk about left brain, right brain, which of course, you know, it's a bit mm. of a simplification, but it's obviously, you know, we're using one part of our brain for art, creativity, imagination, and one is the more science, you know, physics, calculus, all those things that you must have excelled at. Sure. So I, you know, it just, it's just, do you just have both in, in, in you and, and you're just excel at both? I don't know. I mean, my parents are very much of that belief that that people are segregated between left and right brain. But the the older I get and the longer I work in this industry, the more I realize that successful artists have to be mm -hmm. great business people and they have to be incredible at that side of things. And I do find like the engineering part of my brain that like troubleshooting and critical thinking comes in handy more often than I ever would have thought. And your parents were okay with that that you you got oh, it sounds yeah. like you broke the rules yeah. you broke yeah. the rule the cardinal rule was you go get your degree but it didn't matter what the degree was is that it right it didn't matter okay? no okay my parents so you, are the most supportive human beings on the planet i'm very maybe, lucky can i have them for a little while you no, can that's not, uh, what am i talking about huh everything's worked out here but so you never stepped foot in uh, that calgary engineering campus you went instead to york acting and it's interesting yes. you've mentioned three things and none of them dance, engineering, and theater have anything to do with comedy yet? Did you want to, were your aims in comedy? Was it a specialization in comedy? Was it going to be more of comedic things that you chose in acting or that wasn't on the radar yet? It wasn't on the radar. I think that was something that eventually, you know, as a young person who's trying to find their voice, you kind of evolve into. When I was in theater at York, I was kind of told pretty upfront that that people who look like me, i.e., you know, for listeners, I look kind of like a typical Hallmark ingenue, you know, aren't aren't funny. 
And so I was told to, you know, stick to my hit and like work on roles that were quite a bit more dramatic, although I'm terrible at crying on camera. And that's what I did for four Challenge years. Challenge accepted. Oh my God. <laughs> it's so bad. My, my, I've had two roles where I've had to cry on camera and it looks like I have to take a big poop. <laughs> like I'm pushing so hard. Use it. Use it. <laughs> it's really terrible. But yeah, so, so after university, kind of when I was trying to find myself, I, I, there was like a couple dark years of being pretty lost. And ultimately, that's how I found YouTube, because I wanted to take control over my career. And then kind of all at once, you're like, I'm finding YouTube, and I'm figuring out what type of content I want to make. And I realized that my creative voice and the writing that I was kind of most prone to, to being directed towards was comedy. And so it, it evolved on its own very organically, I would say. So I hate to, this is like, maybe I'm trying to make you cry. Tell me about those dark years. <laughs> but I, I can't, do, I, I can't cry. I want to know about the, the dark, you got the degree. I'm not yes. talking to somebody without a degree. Thank God, my God. Huh? <laughs> that would be embarrassing. A non-degree, but no, I, I, barely, I barely got anything. I uh, I did want to ask about, were you getting cast when you were out of theater school? Were you getting cast and stuff and you just didn't like it? Or was that darkness sort of like you don't enjoy what you're getting cast in? Or was there no, there were no roles? I would get the odd audition. I was with a great agency. I actually, I've been dropped by three agents in my career thus far. It's a nice feather in your cap. I know. They just didn't rule want three. me. <laughs> rule of three, which is a great rule of comedy. So there is the true. funny right there. Little yeah. did I know. Um, <laughs> but, but basically in those years, you know, I graduated from school. I think every young actor has this idea that their path is get an agent, start auditioning, book small roles, then you book bigger roles, then you get famous and you move to Hollywood. And that's exactly what I wanted, except that I was stopped right at the beginning. So I got the agent, couldn't really get auditions and couldn't book roles. And so I actually went a full seven years without booking a role in the traditional industry. That's not that that's not to say I wasn't doing things. You know, I was working on people's short films. I was doing I did a lot of craft services for people's mm, short films just so I could I get in, you know. But yeah, it was a full seven years of didn't book a commercial, didn't book a play. And maybe it's my ego, which I'm kind of thankful for, but I I was just so certain that I had something to offer that these people weren't getting. And it's just like, it was only a matter of time and I was going to wear them down. And eventually, you know, the casting directors would, would feel bad enough for me that we, they'd put me in. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it's sympathy or they see talent, take it, it doesn't matter. They're booking you. Yeah. So you and I, you've, you know. I basically, I want to say I've been there. And when I say I've been there, I've been there where the bookings are simply not coming, but I've also been there on the other side of the craft table. Cause I was a caterer Whoa. for many years and I started in film and God love you. If you do craft services on a yeah. movie set, it is the worst. I would like, I, cause I also wanted to make good food and I don't want to yeah. be handing out granola bars, but you make good food. It costs money and they don't give you anything. Here's 200 bucks. We've got about 50 people on set. I'm like, what? That's yeah. not even, what is that? 10 bags of apples. I, this, I, what can I do here? So that was the least fulfilling time of my life doing movies and maybe these low budget music videos. But we have this connection that you might not know about. I, you were doing food shows that your initial YouTube right. channel was food-based, right? It was, yeah. So I, uh, you know, Asif was like, you guys are kind of opposites because I wanted to get in the food industry mm -hmm. more than anything. I had a singular focus to have a show on television and I started doing comedy. 
oh. to improve my skill. I was like, the, the the audience can be like a studio audience. I'll write food jokes. Wow. I'll gain my confidence from people. And it was all food, food, food. And you were like, I'm moving towards comedy, but let me start in food. Yeah. Well, right? it's, yeah, it's interesting. I think two things can be true at once. I think you can have a love for food and that was like an avenue that I tried to pursue and then also a love for act acting. And it's just a matter of like, which, which one can you really see that you have longevity in? And, and I think for me, for food, I loved it so much and I still am an avid cook and I love to eat. But what I realized is that kind of the pinnacle of that career of food host was not ultimately something I wanted to do. Maybe I would have preferred being in a restaurant actually, but then there's such a, there's no performative side to that. So I kind of hit this fork in the road and ultimately decided, uh, no, I think, I think I'm a performer. I think I'm an actor and then I'll just cook for myself. You've never met those, uh, Mater D's or hosts. Oh, Julie, you look so nice. You're so pretty. Who's this bum you're with? You know, there, there, there's some performers out there. <laughs> That's very who, true. Uh, yeah, they're out there. But they, you feel like their talent is wasted here at the front of uh, La Trattoria or wherever they're uh, they're cooking. Right, yeah. So, Julie, you, you were quite successful, I, I was reading about, with your food tra and travel shows. Like, this was like mm -hmm. your, your income. This was your job. This, this was like a full-time gig. And then, as you said, you left it to pursue comedy because of, you know, as, as you mentioned the longevity you know where you saw yourself and then you toiled with putting out these comedy videos and then of course you know we have what Ali alluded to at the beginning which was explaining the pandemic to my past self right this was over 20 million views i think and, and counting a million you now have a million subscribers in your youtube channel you know you are mm -hmm. huge and of course you had this viral hit and everybody was talking about it that's when i first heard about you this Issue of virality is very interesting. I have this buddy who has all, all these get rich quick schemes, and he, he'll tell me whatever it is. And he's like, and then the key is we need to go viral, and then we'll be rich. And I'm like, yeah, I that that's your plan. So was that a plan? Is that something you can plan for, or is it just like oh this is you just you know how how does that even work? No, you can't plan for it. I don't think so. I think it's a fool's errand. I think that. Anything in the online space that you that a person chooses to do as a career, it needs to be solely out of passion. It needs to be something that you do that you could do in a vacuum with nobody watching because three quarters of the time, that's how it's going to be. And I, I have so many friends who have come to me asking, you know, what are tips? What can I do? And really, it's my only piece of advice is just like make what you want to make and make it with consistency. Nobody's going to watch because that is that is the battle. And, and you know, I was like you said, I was lucky I had I had the food and travel show and that did well. And I was fine with just that. But I, I almost feel like that's why I had a video take off because I was so at peace in my in my own career. I was at peace with my voice in comedy and what I was offering to the online space that, yeah, I mean, of course, you dream of things going viral, but you cer certainly shouldn't have that as part of your business plan <laughs> yeah. because that 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 could be a problem. Mm, there's no guarantees. I know. No. That's, but Asif and I both heard people that uh, we'll do this, we'll do this, then we'll go viral, we'll do this. Sorry. Right. It, what, that you're just, that's just like one of the steps that's obvious. It doesn't come like that. And we get it there. When you do go viral, I do have to ask you about this. There's an un unintended byproduct or consequence. And that is the glorious uh, 
kind-hearted space known as the comment section of YouTube. <laughs> uh, many comedians have joked about, you know, you get you get three or four good ones, and then number five is this idiot doesn't know what they're doing, and it just gets ugly real quick. And over the right. years, it's gotten uglier, quicker, and quicker. Um, what has your experience been with that? You know, I've listened to conversations with Bo Burnham. One of my favorite things he said, because a lot of older comics are like, he's a YouTube comedian. That's not a real comedian. He hasn't done late night Friday show at a comedy club, which is notoriously where all the drunks are for our listeners. The late night Friday show is a, a notoriously tougher spot. People are tired and drunk and, and not really there for comedy. And Bo Burnham said, uh, I would say that as a 16 year old in my bedroom, the number of hate mail uh, emails and comments I got kind of is like a Friday late show. I, I would say I might be even better prepared for the, uh, the world of comedy. So I just wanted your comments on that and your experience around that. Yeah. I mean, if Bo Burnham said it, it's the truth that I forget. I, I am not a fragile person. And I think a lot of that has to do with my upbringing started from my parents being kind of very tough, love, hardened people in the, in a very good way, very loving, but also like, there's no room to be insecure here. You just have to be confident and own your choices. And I was very lucky with that. And, and then I also think because of, because I didn't work for such a long time and, and I was faced with so many closed doors, I really, really had to find something inside that, that was enough that made me feel worthwhile such that so that those those comments that inevitably come wouldn't affect me. And I feel like I have so many colleagues now who I'm always shocked at how fragile they are. But, but it's part of being an artist and I do get it. But you can't be in the comedy space, whether it's live comedy or online comedy, and be insecure. It's just you're never you're never going to last. And so, yes, there are lots of negative comments, particularly as a woman in comedy. There's a lot of comments that objectify me which totally undermines, you know, any skill or wit or writing ability. But I also see it as that's part of the job. And you have to find it within yourself to know when to compartmentalize those comments, know when to use them to fuel you, when you can pull the constructive criticism out of them, and when they're just total trash. And that's just something I, I think a person has to learn on their own. I think, I think you know, you made a comment that you're not going to last if you're fragile. I, I don't know about that. I think no. with the right amount of substance abuse and um, running from <laughs> your problems and, uh, you know, just that good mix, like just depression, you can, you can, you could still succeed. We've seen comedians Very true. who are utterly dark and depressed off stage. And if that's what success is, I don't want it, mind you, but, but it, you know, you can see success, but it's not healthy. It doesn't look good. No. Well, and it's hard to, People get really static in that state. And, and as we mentioned earlier, you know, I, I think a very successful artist needs to use both sides of their brain. They need, they need to be a business person. And the best way to be business savvy is to have a clear head and be healthy in your own mindset and your body. And I think that's how you can evolve and, and create true success for yourself. I want to ask you, Julie, a bit about your work ethic. You essentially put out a new video every week. And I mean... I'm very interested in your process. I mean, just us putting out this podcast every week, I uh, get sweats and stress and you gotta remember just, you know, got to find time to record and publish, but you do. Do you? I do. I, I do. don't get stressed well, at all. Now <laughs> we see the difference maybe here, don't I, we? Maybe, maybe I do one-tenth of the work I on this thing. Maybe that's <laughs> Ah, there anyway, it is. I'm, edit that. No, I'm not. Julie's learning quite a bit. More work for you. That's <laughs> right. Can't edit it out. I'm too busy. So can you tell us a bit about your process? How does a typical sketch come about? Mm -hmm. And 
you know, the timelines that you have, because you do, correct me if I'm wrong, writing, producing, editing, how do, just how does that all work and how can you get it done with that consistency? Yeah, it, it's a machine. YouTube or podcast creation, it's a machine. And we learned really, so I work with my husband and we've been doing this for almost nine years now. And the key is to just streamline as much as possible to create as much efficiency as you can. So if it's a podcast, making sure that it's always, you've got it somewhere and it's always set up and you've, you've slotted a certain amount of hours to edit it. I mean, that's, that's ultimately what we did from the beginning. We had a part of our house that was just going to be where gear was permanently set up. So we didn't have to fight with setting up lights every single time I had I mean, it's different now. I, I say that in the past because we just moved and things are a little bit chaotic right now. And I, I wish I had those efficiencies again. But, you know, every Monday I would go to the exact same coffee shop and it's where I would do some writing. I would do some brainstorming, just like a total brain dump of potential characters. Usually I would come away with a couple scripts. I would refine those scripts on a Tuesday. We would film them on Wednesday. And then they have to be edited. And I did eventually hire an editor, but it would either be me or the editor would edit from Wednesday through to Sunday. And then they would go for approvals to the brand on Monday to be posted on Thursday. And it was just like a, it was just a machine. And once, once you start to build it as a routine and you can kind of like lock those times out for yourself, it, it, it became pretty involuntary. It was just like a part of the week that we were used to having. And we got the videos we could shoot them in about three hours. Like we really pared down the amount of time we could spend on those. And yeah. I think as I'm hearing this, I think the key to your success, Julie, is what you said, you've said twice already is having that business savvy mind. And so comedians who notoriously don't have the best work ethic, there's some who work an hour a day and they're mm. very excited about that, just that one hour and keeping it at that one hour. And that's fine if that's what you want to do. But I think you weren't scared of having a job by the sounds of it. You treat this like a job. Right. Uh, most comedians are like, I do comedy, so I don't have to have a job, which I think is you're kind of telling on yourself there because you're saying that comedy is not a job. And when you're saying that, yeah. that also shows how seriously you're taking this. It definitely is a job. It requires discipline. It requires focus. And when you put in as much discipline and focus as you do, clearly you see those, those results. It's that's, quite phenomenal. I, I, I love the idea that you have days set aside uh, that, that rigidly, but I mean, that's what it takes sometimes. I, th you know? I think that, I think an artist needs rigidity in order to have space to be creative. I read something interesting and this was years ago and it talked about how, you know, every artist has a different time during the day where the artist gods hit them and they feel like they can be creative. I mean, it is like, it's impossible to just sit down and say, okay, I'm going to write something amazing right now. So what this article was saying was find when that time is for you. For me, I'm a morning person. So it happens to be in the morning. And then it said, like, make sure that time is sacred. Make sure that you're like really respecting that time and then see if you can lengthen it. And so that's why that cafe became really important to me. Cause it was like, all emails are off. My husband knows not to contact me. No one on my team messages me. And it's just, and I was able to get it to like two to three hours at this cafe where I could just like write and come up with things and try and like elongate that sacred creative time. But, but I think you need the rigidity in order to be free to do something like that. I think people who don't know you are going to be like, was she like 
73 years old. You have this wisdom. <laughs> yeah. You have this wisdom of like, but I think it's also because the industry you're in, the YouTubing and all that, it's this compressed amount of knowledge that you get in a shorter period sure. of time that would take people much longer to to acquire. But I, I really feel like you're you're sharing gold Thanks. with our with our listeners about this industry. It's a it's a quick ten thousand hours for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to ask you about that. So, are you saying just so I can clarify a couple of things? You're saying for say a three to six minute video that takes several days of editing to get it down to where you where you need to get it to. You are the editor who you hire. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think it got more difficult as we shot with better and better cameras the footage just got bigger. And then, so then not to get too technical, but then you have to spend some time switching it over into proxies so that the files are smaller. Then it takes roughly six hours just of like pure edit time. And then you might want to color it. You might want to add in effects. And so that mixed in with, you know, regular life of like answering emails and answering comments and posting TikTok videos, whatever it is, I found would take a few days, yeah. And then you were saying something I, I may have missed. It. You said you had to run it by or show it to somebody at the very. Mm -hmm. Who who is that? Who's this mysterious person? So, <laughs> so no, Asif, you can't hire them. Okay, right. you just continue to do the work yourself. Stop it. No, no, no. These are um, these are brand partners. So that's that's one of the pillars that uh, YouTube creators use to earn an income. Will be to have their videos sponsored by a brand, and so. But with our brand partners, we want to make sure we give them an opportunity to see the cut, make sure they're okay with it if they like our call to action. And so they'll usually get, I'll send it to them on a Monday, and they usually get three days to kind of review, send edits, give us their thoughts. Very interesting. So like a week and a half process. So you can't be too timely. You can't be like this event happened and tie something to an event, which is not your thing anyway. You're not current yeah. events you it's more sort of phenomenons that you would tie your your comedy to is that is that fair yeah to say? i mean we can yes we can do it like within a week or two week span but it is tough to get tighter than that just given our our process my uh it's funny because asif introduced me to your other life outside of acting and then my children introduced me to ryan george ah and uh it's embarrassing because they were like, this is a comedian, Papa, do you know who this is? I was like, how do I not know who this is? And it, I, I really find it's got to be so interesting surrounding yourself with these fantastic, talented performers. You must all sort of just be, you know, will, you know, excited to work with each other. Is, is, it a, is it a kind of a network of people who just kind of find each other and reach out and say, I'd love to do a video with you? And, and it goes like that? Exactly. It's it's as small as the Canadian comedy community is. I mean, there there aren't a ton of Canadian YouTubers. And those of us that are there, there's the DIYers and then there's the tech guys. And so there's really not a ton of us that are in comedy. I want to say there's like, 25 that all that are all doing it as kind of their main gig but yeah ryan is incredible he's uh he's very funny and i'm so glad th that's the other beauty of youtube is that i'm so glad he found his platform because you know he was writing and he was acting he lives in quebec and I, he's got a bit of a different story than me but it's in ways it's similar in that he kind of couldn't get a foot in the door and it's just amazing that he found his platform because he's truly just so talented. And I'm so glad he gets to share all of his stuff with the millions of people who follow him. And it's interesting because you guys have very similar sense of humor, I find. The videos you do together, mm. they, I didn't realize, again, I was going through your stuff, you know, uh, years ago. And then 
you have these collaborations with them. I'm like, oh, hey, I love Pitch Meeting. I love Ryan George. And then, but then I'm like, oh, they really worked well together, the videos you did together. You're kind of a bit synergistic. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Thank you. I appreciate that because I just think he's the best. Yeah, I love his stuff. Speaking of the best, there's also uh, one of the best uh, to come out of this country, Bruce McCullough, Mm -hmm. who you work with. Tell me about uh, working with Bruce. I mean, we've been, Bruce and I have been working together for probably two years now, just trying to develop something. And Mm. he originally reached out. Uh, We had worked together on a show called Tall Boys on CBC. And then he reached out and asked if, if, you know, I wanted to make something. And so for the last two years, we've been developing a show that's great. It's called Purple Kisses, and we're in the pitching process. So now we're just trying to get somebody to give us money to make it. (laughs) That's always, that's like the permanent state of any writer you ever talk to. I know. It's sad that even Bruce McCullough from Kids in the Hall is like, we're waiting for money to come in. But I have, I have all the faith in the world. He once called me, you know, my agent was like, Bruce McCullough would like to meet you. And Mm. I'm like, what, what? Am I awake? What's happening? This can't be real. And I went to meet him in a hotel room and I was like, oh God, I hope something inappropriate happens here because what a great story that would be. He's a kid in the hall for God's sake. But I'll tell you, this guy was like, I, I just wanted to meet you because I, I like what you do. And I, I, I wanted to do something with you. I left that meeting feeling like a million bucks. That guy made me feel so good and so yeah. positive about myself. I was like for a month, I was on cloud nine just because of Bruce's words and his, his compliments. And, you know, we, again, we weren't, he was like, I want to work with you. It seems like you're too busy. And I think he was doing punch drunk love at the time. Young ah. drunk punk. No, not, it's not young, young drunk punk. Punch drunk That's love is like Adam a, Sandler. Yeah, exactly. yeah, Paul Thomas Anderson. Well, he was doing that as well. Look that up. He might've done that as well. <laughs> um, Young drunk punk he was doing. And he was like. It just, it feels like you're too busy. And I was like, you got the wrong information. I'm not too busy for Bruce McGuire. No, oh, my stupid agent. He must have, he must have, he doesn't know. I don't know, but uh, it never happened. But I'll never forget that time with him. And I'm I'm just from that, I'm so excited that you get to work with Bruce because I, I got the vibe. Such a great. Oh dude. yeah. He's, yeah. He's so complimentary and he just wants to, like, I think he feeds off of energy of, nice good people like I think that's what he surrounds himself with and although now I'm flattering myself but we created a bit of a writer's room for this show and we were breaking out the pilot and just all the people we were working with were so wonderful and had such great ideas and I it it's such a supportive room when working with Bruce and I, I, I want to point out to our readers there's an excellent interview with Bruce in Vulture I think from this past year and it's such a you, you know the article I'm talking about, right, Julie? It's basically yes, yeah. just talking about you for the whole interview. I'm like, well, this is a very interesting uh, headline. It's like it's all about Bruce and how much he loves you. And it, what I found was interesting is he cast you, I guess, initially, and then someone on the on the set was like, oh, hey, yeah, you like Julie's videos? And he's like, what videos? And then he saw them, and he's like, oh my gosh, she's a comedy genius. It's, you know, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but uh, I just want to make sure everybody knows that like it's it, he he really thinks very highly of you from what I read from the interview. Yeah, I was, I was shook. I was shook when I got that role uh, on Tall Boys mm-hmm. at, at all. And then, yeah, when he emailed and was like, I'd love to meet up, like, want to see what we can do. And I was like, this is fake. <laughs> this is not real. No way. Just to wrap up, I want to talk to you guys a bit about Run the Burbs. So finally, for oh, God's boy. sake. Um, that's right. uh, so 
Uh, again, before we came on, I know this was before we came on, I was saying that when Ali told me about the cast of the Verbs, I know about Andrew, and of course, Ali was on it, and I said, well, who else is on it? And unfortunately, I didn't know anybody else. But then as soon as he came to Julie Nolke, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's like a huge get for this show. Wow. So I was very, very impressed. Now, how did you get involved with the show? Was Ali, you know, being cast on it a deterrent to you, and you decided to do it anyway? Yes. Yeah. I had already said yes, and then oh. I found that out, and it, yeah. it was too late. Yeah. Awkward, yeah, for sure. No, but how did that Awkward. come about? How did that come about with with uh, them contacting you? Well, I started working on the show in the very, very early stages before it was greenlit. It was uh, it was in a development room with I think it was with CBC. It was with Pier Twenty One. That's the main production company that makes it. And I think they they had got a, just a tiny little bit of money to try and break it out a touch this, this first season. And so we had a writer's room of like six people and we spent a week and a half just talking, talking about potential characters, talking about, you know, potential plot points and, and what could happen with the, with the character arcs. And then I didn't hear back for once we finished that week, I hadn't heard back for probably four or five months. And then I got an email saying it got greenlit. And so then I worked in the writer's room to help break season one. And all the while, as we're breaking season one, this character of Sam keeps coming up. And I was like, oh, man, she would be very fun to play. And so every time we started talking about Sam, I was like, yeah, maybe maybe Sam, maybe she's a golfer. Maybe and then and maybe she's blonde and it, maybe she knows a lot about like the online space. <laughs> I was just trying to I was trying to mold this character to be me as much as possible. Maybe her name is uh, Junie. Junie Wolke. I don't know. Who knows? Julie? I'm just. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, but it, I will say it was quite awkward because at the same time that we're in the writers' room, the auditions came mm-hmm. out for the role. So actually, and Racky, who plays Camille Pham mm-hmm. on the show, was also in the writer's room. And she had taped for Camille at the same time that I had taped for Sam. And we had both submitted them. And then the next day had to like pretend like nothing happened, even though we knew that Andrew and Scott and the showrunner had just yeah. seen our auditions. Like it, it was so awkward. But yeah. ultimately, <laughs> I, I was lucky enough and I, I booked the role. So that's how I got involved in the show. And first of all, I'll say this because you know, I've watched the first season and then the several episodes that come out for this season. I really like the show. I was telling Ali before, one of the things I really like about it is the multicultural aspect of it that it doesn't hit you over the head though, right? It's not like, oh my gosh, it's a blended family with different cultures and you have all these different it just it just is what it is, right? This family and friends. Yeah, it's it's human relatability yeah. too. I'll, a perfect example is so my family is Ukrainian from the Ukraine and moved to Alberta. And my mom watched the episode two, which is one where they uh, practice Rakshabanda. Is that what it's called? Rakshabandan. Rakshabandan. And um, my mom is obsessed with that episode because her whole life, she has felt terribly guilty for not passing on Ukrainian traditions. And we have the most like random traditions that we've kept and some that we've lost and, she just she loved that episode. And I just thought that that was so beautiful because we're telling a story that I have never heard before. I didn't know about that cultural tradition ever. Now I do. But you've got like a white family, like deeply relating to it as well. I think that's so, that's such beautiful storytelling. I didn't like that episode because it oh. reminded me how few traditions I passed on to my real life children. But uh, no, I, I, I actually loved it. But it was really like. 
oh, I'm just playing myself right now. I don't, uh, you know. Right. It, it, it is kind of a, so a Canadian story a little bit, isn't yeah. it? Because we all yeah. came from somewhere. Exactly. And that's exactly where I was thinking. And actually, Ali, your character says something along the lines that, you know, tradition has to start somewhere. So let's start today. And yeah. that's actually something we have to think about, at least. We, we, yeah, I have a family as well, uh, Julie. So I think about our kids too. Like, even though we may, they may not be doing everything, because my family is mixed cultures, like like Andrew's is, you have to start somewhere. And that's how you, you end up doing things. So anyway, it, it is really, really I nice. I actually very moved by those words in the script and even talked to my wife about that before it aired, you know, just from the filming, the days when we were filming it, I was really moved by that. And I was like, we should figure out our own thing, you know, and I've, I've thought that for years, learning about people who add a mindfulness practice to their family. That's not cultural necessarily. That's not part of what their parents did, but you add that and now you're kids are practicing what maybe meditation for five minutes at night before they go to bed. And, you know, there's, there's ways to start thinking about it where it's so like, oh, that's very accessible. That's very much something we can do. It's the universality, right, uh, uh, of that, and I think the writers are really hitting on that with the show, and I, I so I think it's it's kind of firing on all cylinders. The most recent episode that I saw is, has a B plot with the two of you, and it's something that you brought up just now, which was golfing. So how was that? Ali looked like he was like inebriated on the golf course, even though I, I'm assuming he wasn't on set. You, uh, so tell us about how that all came about. That pl- kind of plot line. That day of shooting. Oh man, that that has got to be my favorite day. I just felt bad, Elliot, that you didn't like properly get to hit any golf balls. Really, you probably pulled your back <laughs> doing some of those moves. I was a bit sore. I was a bit yeah. sore the next day, but uh, but I did finally hit it a couple of feet, and right. uh, that was that was all I really needed to feel good about myself as success. a character. Yeah, yeah. After season one, I told Andrew I really wanted a golf episode, kind of out of jest. A bit of a mm. joke, but Andrew Fung doesn't take jokes. He takes things <laughs> literally. What, what's the meat here? Yeah, what's the series? Yeah, what so then before I know it, uh, we've got an episode at a driving range. And I just remember sitting in the parking lot of the driving range, just feeling so embarrassed that I have brought all these people out here that mm. we're about to do this scene just because me, Julie, selfish person who loves golf wanted a golf episode like i i was like this better freaking work otherwise i'm gonna feel oh, it terrible was a, but it was a great day and it's a great episode nothing to feel bad about at all anymore. it was so fun it was just yeah. a fun day out it's you know working in the studio is nice and it can be very efficient but every now and then it's fun to get out and feels like a field trip for the team yeah it's good for the smokers also huh it's they don't great have to for be the sm- banished. And, <laughs> and they need to be they need to be thought about too won't someone think of the smokers huh there's the there's the doctor part of our uh, doctor versus comedian Ali, it's good for the smokers do you remember when um there was like a bunch of extras behind you who were just like so adamant that they wanted to hit the ball so far like they were having their own kind of like long oh drive competition gosh. Yeah, it was hilarious. Yeah. Like because they want to get yeah, on film, I mean, like they want to get on film. Yeah, How yeah, good yeah, they yeah. were! Oh my god. Well, not only that, but you're on a driving range. You have a golf club, and there's a golf ball in front of you, and you're being told like, "We don't need you to really do anything," or just you could swing if you want. And it's like usually I'm an extra, and I'm mostly sitting down in a mm-hmm. lunchroom, and then I walk. I get walk. Camera says, "Now we have this. We're outdoors." So it was like. For an extra, it's a great day of work, I think, especially the ones who knew how to golf. So they had a great time. Yeah, yeah. It huh? was it was That's fun another all thing around. You, another thing you created there, Julie. I think we've taken up a lot of your time and we really appreciate it. 
I want to say this, as we said, millions of people know who Julie Nolke is. For those of you who don't, I want you to check out a few things. Swaggermagazine.com. You check out Swagger because Swagger has a great article about Julie. Uh, they said, Julie, your channel could be best described as Canada's female millennial answer to Jerry Seinfeld. Whoa, that's yeah, too much. Know, they shouldn't have done yeah, that. They shouldn't have done that. Well, they did it. And it's a great article. Uh, the Vulture article that Asif mentioned, uh, Bruce McCullough just raving about you is also great. And uh, and Run the Burbs season two is on right now. And your YouTube channel is youtube.com slash Julie Nolke. And we really appreciate you being here. This was nice. Thank you guys so much. What a pleasure. What a pleasure. I think we might get some YouTube creators out of this. I think you might get some competition. You might be like, should have kept my mouth shut. Now look at this person getting in my space. You mean the oh, audience, you right? Not us. I not do mean us. The There's no way no, we could do your no, work. Oh, God. I mean. oh, God. Did <laughs> Oh, thank God you cleared that up. Are you crazy? I can barely have the work ethic for what I'm doing. I can add another thing to this. Uh, thanks so much, Julie. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Julie. that's her interview with Julie Nolke. Let us know what you thought. I thought she was just great. As Ali said, really insightful. Like this is a very intelligent person who has committed to their craft. Re really a, a great interview. I think that's, that's my biggest takeaway too. commitment to the craft. And that's what you need yeah. if you're going to be successful. And we, we've said this before, like the success of, of uh, so many people is in the consistency. Mm -hmm. That's the hardest part. Yeah. And she, basically you know makes it look she she called it involuntary like it just makes it look easy but it's very very difficult so reach out to us drvcomedian at gmail.com drvcomedian at twitter facebook instagram we are everywhere and remember that although i'm a doctor i'm not your doctor medical issues we talk about are for your interest and information only and they are certainly not medical advice please consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice thanks for listening bye